0: pretending it's never going to happen. Exactly. Well, we're pretty much out of time here on the show, so why don't we go to our skeptical highlights?
1: I've got a wonderful skeptical highlight, as
2: I always do. It's called One Minute Physics. It's a collection of videos and animations uh, that take on various topics. For example, uh, not last week, but
3: the
1: week before, they have How do we know we live in a three-dimensional universe? Uh, basically explores the concepts of multi-dimensions and show how you can actually kind of test that we live in a 3D
2: world. Where can you see all this? Uh, again, there'll be a link on our website, but www.newscientist.com slash bog slash
0: nstv one-minute-physics <sighs> Yeah, that's it. Okay. Well, I have a skeptical highlight that people already probably know about, but James Randi, the founder of the James Randi Educational Foundation, is doing a Canadian speaking tour. The, tu- the, the The tour starts Thursday the 22nd in Vancouver at the Denman Cinema. Randi will also be speaking in Kelowna, Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatoon, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, and Halifax over the next nine days.
4: And if you get a stamp if you go to all of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if you're in one of those cities, check it out. You can find all that information at www.cficanada.ca. And uh, I encourage you to see Randy speak. He's a fantastic speaker.
4: So my skeptical highlight is the new movie Contagion. And yes, I know it's Hollywood, so we take things with a grain of salt. But actually, I saw it this weekend, and there's some pretty interesting underlying themes. Uh, before I saw the movie, I heard an interview with one of the scientists who consulted for the film. And she said she had some few interesting conditions um, that she would only work on it if we're met. Firstly the virus couldn't come from space so it had to be somewhat realistic Uh, nor could it come from Africa. She felt that there had been enough demonization happening there and the problem wouldn't be couldn't be allowed to be solved quickly and easily after a single scientific discovery. Uh, So basically going for some realism as well as uh, trying to not scapegoat certain bodies and specifically also the virus could not be an escaped experiment i.e. there could be no demonizing of scientists a la Deep Blue Sea. Um, And actually, during the movie, they even throw in some sensationalization, sensationalist, sensationalistic, pseudoscience demonization um, in a specific character, and incorporate some concepts that, although they're presented in a kind of worst-case scenario way, uh, were real, true elements of a viral epidemic. I cannot speak. My tongue is in knots. End of the show. Ah. Uh, so basically, I found that it was not your run of the mill infectious apocalypse movie, but had some interesting things to say and uh, some things to think about.
2: I'm convinced Contagion will go viral on the uh, movie network. Oh. Nice. Oh.
0: Well, this is Ethan, your free thinking historian, saying thanks for listening. This
2: is Don saying eyes open, minds on.
4: This is Jenna saying the real world, <clears throat> not Don, is amazing. Um, nice, real.
2: said. If you wish
4: to make
5: apple pie from scratch. You must first invent
0: the universe. Thanks for listening to Radio Freethinker. Remember to visit us online at RadioFreethinker.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. If you have any local skeptical events you would like us to mention on the air, email us at info at RadioFreethinker.com Venture
2: to the stars.
6: You really want to know what love is?
5: Yeah. Yes, tell us. More than anything in the world, Ron. Well,
2: it's really quite simple. It's kind
6: of like... Picking up, he's working up my appetite. Looking forward to a little afternoon delight. Rubbing sticks and stones together, make making sparks ignite. And the thought of loving you is getting so exciting. Skyrockets Sky. in flight. <laughs> afternoon delight.
0: Do you know what love is? I do. It's CITR Radio 101.9 FM.
6: You guys have it, I think. Ah. Afternoon delight. The timbers, the fenario The wolves are running round The winter was so dark and cold rose ten feet near the ground Don't murder me I beg of you, don't murder me I went to bed, but that's the last they saw me Don't murder me I beg of you, don't murder me Please don't murder me When I awoke, the dire wolf Six hundred pounds of sin grinning at my window All I said was come on in Don't murder me I beg of you don't murder me Please don't murder me The wolf came in I got my cards. We sat down for a game I cut my deck to the of speech, but the cards were all the same. me. I beg of.
7: This is Burt Reynolds. You're listening to Wiener's Barbecue, and they're not giving me a damn thing for this.
8: Welcome, everybody, to Wiener's Barbecue here on 101.9 FM, CIT Radio, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Hope everybody is having a lovely summer ends on Thursday, so I hope everybody's having a lovely uh, Tuesday afternoon. Uh, lots to get to on the show today. It is a UBC Thunderbird men's football extravaganza, uh, UBC winning a home game for the first time in a long, long time, 40 to 30 over the Alberta Golden Bears on the weekend UBC improves to 2 and 1 on the year lots of coverage on this game for the next hour and a half and joining us a man who knows a little bit about this football team and this football game the head coach of the UBC Thunderbirds Sean Olson uh Sean thanks for coming on the show today and congratulations a 40 to 30 win your first win as a UBC head coach at home, hey?
9: Yeah, no, it's a good feeling. I mean, that's something we talked quite a bit about with our players leading up to it. I'm not exactly sure on the stats on when the last win was or how many months or years it was, but I know it was a long time, and uh, uh, that was the focus going into the season is to uh, do a much better job of uh, defending our home turf.
8: Uh, Sean, tell us about the start uh, 2.40 into the game You're already up 14 nothing, eh?
9: Yeah, no, I mean it, it, Obviously that's, that's a nice thing it, uh, Defense hadn't even stepped on the field yet We, we went down on the opening opening drive And, and uh, put one in the end zone And then got a turnover on the ensuing kickoff and, and were able to get that second touchdown So, I mean, before they knew it It was 14 nothing, And we talked a lot uh, about focus And not taking them lightly And, and uh, you know, our, our lack of uh, success and, and inability to handle distractions at home, and I thought our guys really, really bought into that message and, and uh, really proved that uh, that they could do all the things that we need to do to be successful at home. So, uh, no, I was very, very happy with the start and very, very happy with the way our guys uh, prepared all week. Uh, yeah, Sean, 40
8: to 30, the final score, but they outscored you 22, 20, 22 to 1 in the fourth quarter. Um, two touchdowns for Alberta, really, in the last two and a half minutes of that football game. So you did blow them out. Is that something as a coach you look at the score and say, I'm not happy with the finish or. You know, you know the real score in this game was something about forty to sixteen, hey?
9: No, yeah, I mean it, it was one of those things. You always like to finish a little bit stronger than maybe we did, right? But uh, basically, you know, the uh, um, at the end of the third quarter, we made some some fairly uh, uh, wholesale changes as far as personnel. I and mean, decided to get a lot of our uh, um, young guys in, a lot of our backups some playing time, and and uh, I was uh, I was continually calculating how many scores they were uh, <laughs> they were they were behind, and uh, just wanted to make sure that we were able to get out of the game with. Uh, with no injuries and a win. And, and the score, I'm not too concerned about. Uh, I think that uh, we did what we sort of set out to accomplish that week. And, and uh, um, you know, at the end of the day, they got a couple of late touchdowns, and, and uh, we got some experience for our young guys.
8: Uh, your quarterback, Billy Green. Uh, tell us about this guy. This is not a guy, Sean, who you recruited. Uh, he came, of course, he with head coach Ted Gavaya. Um you, you had a coach against him when you were at SFU. Uh, tell us about your relationship, though, with Billy Green, fourth-year guy, 21 for 27, 250 yards, three touchdowns, 105 yards on the ground. Uh, tell us about this guy, Sean, and really what you guys have done as a tandem in the last two years. Qu- him being a quarterback, you didn't recruit,
9: right? Well, it's not really true. I recruited him pretty hard, actually, to Simon Fraser when I was there. Uh, he just ended up choosing UBC for many of the same reasons that uh, uh, that I chose UBC. We, you know, good campus, uh, staying close to home, all that kind of stuff. It was a better fit for him. So, I mean, I, I did know him quite well. He went to my old high school, and and um, you know, it was nice to be able to to walk in and have a guy like him with uh you know, everyone knows he's got a ton of talent. Um, you know, it just it's it's a matter that uh, putting it all together for him, right? And this has been his uh, his best start to a season. Um, he's done a really, really good job of buying in over the off season. Spent a lot of work, uh, work uh, time working with his receivers. Um, a lot of work watching film and going over the plays and, and asking questions about reads and all that kind of stuff. And I think he, I think we're all seeing the, uh, you know, the, the the result of his work. He's uh, um, he, he's distributing the ball significantly better. He's not scrambling as much. Um, you know, his rushing yards are, are largely in part uh, by by called run plays for our quarterback. And you know, he's an exceptional runner, and is you know, kind of um, open that. It's it's going to be kind of what we see out of him every week if we if if we can tap into uh, what his his God given gifts are.
8: Yeah, Sean. One thing I did notice, and I'm not the expert here, but when I was down on the field watching it on Saturday, it, it's something you mentioned there. Just the way. He would take all his reads. You can see, looking here, looking there. Up, oh, that one's open. There goes the pass. It seemed like he was doing that really well on the weekend.
9: Yeah, he's he, he's uh, getting more and more comfortable uh, week in and week out. I mean, I think uh, uh, the preseason game that we had, uh, he didn't play especially well, and ever since then, he's done a pretty good job of distributing the ball and and taking what the defense has given him. And we talk all the time about if the defense has given us a you know a fifty yard touchdown, then we need to take that. But if they're if they're trying to take that away and and playing soft coverages and stuff, we need to be able to nickel and dime. And he's he's really doing a Good job of, of of buying into that sort of mentality and getting all of our guys involved. One of the things I think that really stands out more than all of his stats is just week in and week out how many guys are involved in the passing game. You know how how, how well he's distributing the ball. We usually have you know six seven receivers with catches in a game, which uh, to me is is a testament of his uh, understanding of the offense and his ability to uh, you know get the ball to our players, uh, which ultimately is a quarterback's job. So I mean, um, still got a lot of work to do as as a, as a unit, and Billy needs to improve every single week we're still missing a few plays here here and there but he i've been very 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 happy with him so far yeah
8: uh seven receivers caught passes during the game sean as the ex-quarterback uh, what does that do for a team's morale, really? Where everybody on offense is kind of involved in the game.
9: Well, I, I I think it's huge. You know, that's one of the one of the jobs of a quarterback is is to lead and to include and and uh, you know that that's one of the things that is very subtle subtle and uh, goes unnoticed a lot of the time. But uh, he's a uh, he's been doing a good job, and it just brings you know people block better, people give more effort, people are more enthusiastic because they feel included. Um, you know, so that that's something that we do talk about a little bit, and and he's done a really good job. Job of uh, of understanding the importance of that and I think uh, you know right now uh, you know and I don't want to get ahead of myself but that's one of the one of the reasons why I think our offense is is, is has been doing pretty well so far
8: and the old line um, you know looking good early in the season hey
9: yeah that was one of the first uh, uh, games where I thought that they played uh, uh, very well they were they were physical in the uh, in the run game and um, they they did a good job in pass protection and they've done that all year uh, but this was the first time where I thought that they sort of imposed their will on a on a defense, and, and that was encouraging to see because uh, although I play quarterback, I, I, I know it's something that uh, um, is key to any kind of success at the college level is to be able to have a ground game that is not uh, predicated on on coaching scheme and and uh, trickery. It, it's just a you know bloody uh, <laughs> a bloody nose type of mentality, and they they bought in this week and they they, they, they did it, they did a very good job.
8: Uh, a couple more questions, Sean. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, Dave Boyd, 176 yards on the ground, had the touchdown also caught four for 29 through the air Uh, and our post-game interview with them uh really talked about the impact mark nora has had on him uh really this season tell us about what mark nora former heck creighton winner of course tried out for the buffalo bills at one point what he's brought to your football team and the coaching staff
9: well, he's done. He's done a good job uh, um, of. Well, first off, being here. I mean, it's it's awesome to have a guy like him come on staff and uh, give his knowledge and stuff. And I know he's a, he's a lawyer now by, by trade as well. And so he's uh, um, he's a busy guy. But uh, uh, he's obviously played the, uh, played the position at a high level. Uh, has a lot of knowledge. Has a lot of uh, um, has a lot of uh, sort of ideas uh, and and breaks down the running back position a little bit more than your average running back co- coach would. And I think that's good for the running backs to get that attention and to to make it uh, less about just random talent and more about sort of, uh, um, you know, making good decisions and reads and all that kind of stuff. So, no, he's, he's been great. and he's, uh, He also brings a little bit of a uh, uh, different sort of uh, philosophy that I think our running backs approach. So it, uh, I appreciate So I, I think it's been awesome.
8: Awesome. And Sean, uh, this weekend, Manitoba Bisons coming to town had a, what seems like an upset win versus Saskatchewan 26-16 on the weekend. You, Saskatchewan and Manitoba all knotted up at 2-1. Calgary's at 3-0. Oh. Uh, the importance of this game and what's UBC Manitoba gonna be like this weekend?
9: well it's going to be a really really tough game Manitoba was a very good football team they they're, they're uh, an older team sort of a throwback to the to the days where guys would play three or four years of junior and and still be able to play four or five years of, of CIS and and uh, talented across the board their defense is second in the league and poses some uh, serious problems for us up front and and they run a, a match type of concept in the back end which is an aggressive sort of zone man type of concept so they're they're, they're really good offensively they have a quarterback that's dangerous and he, a double threat as far as running and be able to throw in the football so it's going to be a very tough matchup and and uh um we're going to kind of have a sense of where we are after that you know this is a team that we're going to have to beat if we're we're going to be anything this year so uh our guys i know we're going to see if we can forget that win pretty quickly and get yep. back to work and and uh you know see where we where we uh, uh measure up uh, this weekend but manitoba is going to be a tough test
8: uh ranked ninth in the country sean you cracked the top 10 poll uh you got to kind of make it where the players as you said, the work's not done yet. We lose this week, we're out of that before we even blink, eh?
9: Yeah, no, we we haven't focused on wins and losses all year. To be honest with you, we've been sort of just trying to get better every single week, and and uh, the whole mentality is that if we do that, let's see where we see how we measure up every Saturday. And uh, so far, we've done okay, but uh, we got a long ways uh, to go before we uh, win anything of of, of value. So uh, um, you know, we're just going to keep trudging along and and see where we end up.
8: Coach Sean Olson, uh, coach a forty to thirty win on the weekend. Uh, seemed like old times there at Thunderbird Stadium. Congratulations on the win. Thanks a lot, Darrell. All right, uh, that was Sean Olson, head coach of the UBC Thunderbird men's football team. Uh, once again, lots to get to on the show today, folks. When we're back, the play-by-play announcer for us on the weekend, Richard Zussman going to be with us to break it down. Um, at about 525, we're going to have Justin McElroy from the UBC newspaper. He was our play-by-play guy. He was our color guy, excuse me. And then at 545, Howard Samura of the Vancouver province, who, of course, was covering that game. Also, we're also going to have some interview bits from our post-game show with Billy Green, the quarterback, and Dave Boyd, the running back. All right, that's it. You're listening to 101.9 FM.
3: Wednesday mornings on CITR, from 8 to 10
10: a.m., it's the Suburban Jungle Show, with your radio host, DJ Jack Velvet.
11: Thrills, chills, excitement, and music. That's the Suburban Jungle Show,
3: Wednesday mornings from 8 to 10, on 101.9 FM in Vancouver. You can
2: also catch this show, streaming and podcast, at www.jackbelvin.net. Don't miss the Suburban Jungle Show. Wednesdays, 8 to
0: 10, 101.9 FM, CIGR.
8: Welcome back to Nash Barbecue here on 101.9 FMCITR Radio. We are currently reviewing UBC's forty to thirty win over the Alberta Golden Bears in men's football on Saturday afternoon. UBC improves to two and one on the season. They are now ranked number 9 in the country, and we're also going to preview their big game this weekend versus the 2-1 and one Manitoba Bisons here to help me do both of those things. A man who worked very hard for us here at CITR on the weekend. Oh, you did, Richard. You did. Our play-by-play man, our pregame show extravaganza individual, the man who put the halftime show and postgame show together, Richard Zussman. Richard, how you doing today? Hey, Daryl, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fine. You did put effort in on the weekend, Richard.
10: It wasn't just on the weekend, Daryl. I put effort in all week.
8: Oh, now you're uh, now you're giving yourself too much credit here, Richard. So, uh, <laughs> now, now you're being cocky. Now you're being arrogant. Uh, That's on the line, uh, Richard Zussman. Uh, Richard, of course you did. You did a great job. Um, UBC, forty yeah. to thirty win. They finally win a home game. Uh, They're up forty to sixteen with two and a half minutes to go in the contest. Excellent performance for this team, hey? It
10: was fantastic. I think it's so funny when you were chatting with Sean that he didn't acknowledge he uh, knew when the last time uh, the Thunderbirds won at home was. So we'll remind him it was September 2008, and it was 12 starts in a row they lost at home before they finally got that victory on the weekend. So pretty good for them. They looked fantastic. And that 40-16 score really, really was indicative of the way that they played. Uh, and then, as Coach mentioned, they took out all their their starters and their stars, and they just looked incredible. The way that they put 14 points up on Alberta two minutes and 40 seconds into the ball game. you know, Billy Green looked unbelievable again. You know, I would be very surprised if this guy isn't the Canada West Player of the Year, and right now it looks like he should be the guy that wins that credit and is
5: MVP for all of Canada.
8: Uh, one thing is, Sean Olson. I would like to say when I was doing this show, I was for Sean Olsen being hired. For this position yep. from the start. I'd like to say that right now. Um, the guy comes in last year and he got a late start on recruiting, Sean Olson did. They really couldn't start recruiting until about February. Put him behind the eight ball. There was a long delay in the hiring. It was supposed to be done before Christmas. There was about a month and a half that went by when nothing happened. Uh, Bob Phillip criticized by some for hiring Sean Olson as the quarterback. But boy, any but boy, is that looking like a great decision right now, hey? And you know, the other thing I'll add to that is you know, and we're going to play your interview with Dave Boyd here, mentioning Mark Nora helping out with the running Great. backs and all that. Sean Olson bringing the alumni back. You mentioned we had a former Vanier Cup winning team there on the weekend. You did something with that one of those teams. You did a big report on them at halftime. Uh, it's just,
10: it's got a different sense,
8: UBC football this year.
10: It does. And we're finally seeing those Sean Olson recruits. Look at that defense Adam Konar, Vivi Bojolov. Uh, Ford, Marcotte, all guys he recruited, all first-year guys, all starting for the T-Birds. Konar was awesome on the weekend. You know, their run defense got beat up in the newspapers. We beat them up a little bit in the pregame show, but that run defense came to play against KK Sinanga and the Bears. They couldn't move the ball passing or running in the first half against UBC, and part of it had to do with those young guys starting to establish themselves. Like, obviously, Serge Kaminsky had a big game, and, and he is that star on the defense. And Connor Flynn had a great game for UBC, both veterans. But those young guys coming together to slow down that run offense for Alberta really was what helped UBC sort of, you know, force the turnovers on the punt, get the ball back, get in the hands of Billy Green in the offense to put points up and, and really finish bears before
8: they even got into halftime uh let's start playing this interview with Dave Boyd and before we do that the postgame click here uh Richard 176 yards on the ground had the touchdown 8.4 yards per carry his long was 25 so he was pounding out those runs pretty consistently during the game uh four carry four receptions I'm sorry for 29 yards dominating numbers right there
10: it could have been better, too, and I'll let Dave explain on in the interview because that was one of the things he brought up when I, when I told him the numbers in the postgame, he brought that up about how it could have been better, and I'll let him explain the rest of that, but you brought it up last week when you and I chatted on the show. You were asking about Dave Boyd, about whether it was time for him to come back and be back in the form he was in 2009. Uh, I think, we were, last think year. we were. And I was a little skeptical that it was Dave Boyd time because I really thought that offense was relying so heavily on Billy's arm and his legs, and... You know, he you proved me right there. You, I proved you right in terms of Dave Boyd just uh, having an outstanding game.
11: We were, we were due for kind of a breakout game like that. The, I don't. The score doesn't really reflect. I think you know how how well we played. Uh, I think you know we kind of let off a bit after coming out strong in the first half, which which we shouldn't have, and we tried to be conscious of that. But overall, I'm I'm pretty happy with the effort on in all three phases of the game, and that uh, yeah, was a good game.
10: I know you haven't heard these yet, but pretty impressive. Eighteen carries, hundred and sixty nine yards and a touchdown for you. What goes through your mind when you hear how well statistically you perform?
11: Uh the first thing I think of is all the yards I left on the field. Honestly a a ton of those runs should have gone to the house and after I came off every drive, uh Coach Nora, running back coach, was, you know, you know, you gotta get that stiff arm out, you gotta break that last tackle and I was I left a ton of yards out there. But it was good uh to get some of the younger guys, Sam Adu was in there, yep. and uh, Justin Andruschko. So it was good uh, at the end of the game to get them to get them in. But uh, I told the old line before the game: I was like, the six of us we're, we're due for a big game here. So it was it was what we needed. It.
10: Mark's a pretty good guy to learn from. We profiled the 97 Vanity Cup team at halftime today, and he was a huge part of that. What's it been like having him as your running back
11: coach? Oh, it's been unbelievable since he's since he's come in. I've learned I've learned more. Uh, with him in here as a running backs coach, that I have, as, you know, in my whole career here, so it's—he's a real asset. Um, I, can, I can't say enough about him. I try and try and mold myself after him, but it's—it's it's a tough thing to do.
8: <laughs> uh, start with that one there, uh, Mark Nor, pretty good running back coach. Sean Olson's brought in, hey?
10: Yeah, unbelievable running back. It doesn't get any better. I chatted with both Sean and Mark last week, and a little bit about the relationship that those two guys have together. You know. Mark was the running back on that '97 team. He was an older guy. Uh, His last year, he was the MVP of Canada. Sean was a younger guy. Uh, He was just coming into his own, and Mark got hurt going into the playoffs. And uh, Sean told a funny story this weekend that the coach turned to Sean and said, Well, with Mark out, uh, we're still going to run the ball a lot. We're not going to change the game plan. And the moment they got into the national semifinal, it was throw, 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 throw. throw. (laughs) And Sean said, it, it allowed him to be relaxed, not knowing the pressure was on him. And he went out and he threw. Mark came back in the finals, had an outstanding game. They win the Vanier Cup. And, you know, those guys, uh, they, they joke, they laugh about their friendship because they've known each other a long time. And I think they really enjoy each other's company. I think they really enjoy each other uh, on the same coaching staff. But I think they both have a huge respect for the other's ability to train people and to prepare players and and to get them in the mindset of a championship-caliber team because both those guys experienced that in 97.
8: Well, that's something, too, is when Bob Phillip was doing the hire, he did mention it to me in one of the interviews pre-hire, is it was embarrassing almost. These weren't his exact words, but you could gather this is what he meant. It was embarrassing for the UBC program, that really, all their alumni from that 97 team was pretty much at SFU. Uh, right. Dave Johnson, the head coach, of course, one of the assistants on that team, and Sean Olson, the quarterback, he brought him over, and then the dominoes just started to fall. And when Sean Olson came here, he said, I got to get the alumni back at UBC, and they want to be back at UBC. Nor an example of that happening, hey?
10: Yeah, and he enjoys doing it. I think he enjoys uh, teaching young players both the game and the mentality of it. They are both extremely humble guys. That's what I've enjoyed about talking with both Mark and Sean, that, you know, you you throw all their attributes at them, you remind them about their successes, and they, they sort of brush it off a little bit. And I think that mentality that, you know what, I've been there, I'll do it again. You know, it may be for Mark now, he's a lawyer, it may be in the courtroom or it may be in the the conference room but he will succeed again and he knows that and he just keeps himself prepared to do that and he doesn't reflect back on what was such an incredible success and both of them Sean and Mark described that 97 win as sort of like a dream it was it was the ultimate victory in the sport that they played at the time and they they see it as that but they have moved on and had other successes in life and that's part of what have made them both really outstanding coaches and what uh, has made a huge difference for UBC's running game, but also the whole offense, because Mark sort of rubs that off, and Bob Beveridge is also on the coaching staff, and his experience from that 97 team and his experience in NFL camps, and in the CFL also rubs off, so huge the way that they've built such a strong staff of, of winners, and guys that are important in the community.
8: In a short time?
10: Yes, a very short time, and you know, this team is only going to get better, and you talked about the recruits, and Sean's guys are going to start becoming a big part of this as well. And, you know, you see, especially the receiving core, I think that's such an incredible story. This week it was Micah Till. The weeks before it was Jordan Grieve. Uh, Spencer Vets could break out any week. You know, these guys, people are willing to step up. And, and Billy's distributing the ball. And although he runs the offense, there are other guys that need to perform. And every week it seems like a different one of those receivers can do that. And that is the mark of a winning football team is when you're not just relying on a few players. You are counting on different players to step up each game.
8: Uh, Let's get into the Billy Green interview. And Justin McElroy, your color man from the UBC has just stepped into the studio here. Um, Richard, uh, Billy Green's numbers on the day though, Richard, 27 for 21 passing the football, (laughs) 250 yards, 104 yards on the ground, three touchdowns through the air one touchdown on the ground, no interceptions, that's a dominating performance, eh?
10: It was, and Justin and I will talk about it uh, when we're together on the weekend, but the heck right watches watch is on now, the way that he's racking up numbers. Darrell, the craziest part about it is 370 all-purpose yards a game is what he's averaging. That's with his arm and with his feet, and that is unprecedented uh, in recent memory in the Canada West.
12: Uh, It's a lot better the last (laughs) few years. Having to see my parents after the game, like, sorry, not again. Uh, It was a great feeling today. Uh, Winning at home is always good. And even to get mine and Coach Olson's first victory at home is uh, great. 40-30
10: 40-30 is the final score, but it was a much different ball game than that. You guys got on them early with 14 points in the first three minutes. You came out in the
12: second half and put a score on in your first possession. Talk about pouncing on the Bears early on in half. That yeah, was great. We always want to start the game with, uh, you always want to start the game with a couple touchdowns, or one touchdown. You'll take a field goal on your first drive, but you want to put the ball in the end zone. Fortunate for us, our uh, kickoff team got us the ball back right away, uh, and uh, we took advantage of it. We kind of had a lull in the second, ha- or second quarter, but Uh, halftime, Coach like, we got a pounce on them, and uh, I took that to heart and made sure that uh, we could uh, score right away. I know you're not a stats guy in terms of individual stuff, but I'm going to tell you anyways what you did today.
10: 21 for 27, 250 yards and three touchdowns, 105 yards on the ground, pretty much all of those in the first half and a touchdown. Pretty outstanding going
12: over 350 yards, all-purpose yards. Talk about your ability to do both throwing and running. Uh, It was great. The o line definitely where that starts. They uh, gave me big holes to run through. Uh, they gave me protection all day, uh, which was huge. Uh, anytime you put up good stats, it's always a bonus, especially when you win. Uh, if you put up good stats and you lose, you, it's always kind of a sour taste in your mouth. Uh, but today, uh, those stats helped us win and uh, it felt good. I don't know if you know this yet, but
10: uh, Manitoba, big win today against Saskatchewan. Wow. They beat them 26-16.
12: Wow, that's <laughs> wild, wow, <wild> west.
10: <laughs> so Manitoba comes here with a matching 2-1 record <laughs> to you guys. Uh, what do you know about the the bisons as they head towards Vancouver? Uh,
12: I haven't watched much film on them yet. Uh, I've watched a little bit, but uh, every year they're always tough. They battle, uh, especially coming here because they have a lot of guys from BC. Uh, it's uh, they get all their family out, and it's a good it's a good environment for them. And uh, but they'll they'll be out here battling. That's a big win. They've had a couple close ones, and uh, yeah. You
8: Uh, There you have it, Uh, Billy Green, quarterback for the UBC Thunderbird men's football team, dominate performance in the post-game show with you guys. Um, Justin McRoy from the UBC has just joined us in studio. Justin, how you doing? Uh, Not too bad. Uh, Justin, you and Richard called the game, of course. Thanks for doing the color for us, of course. Uh, Your thoughts, Billy Green's performance on the weekend.
1: Oh yeah, I mean we had all seen the stats that he had put up in the first two weeks of the season and while you can look at statistics and say that looks like a good game and you can watch on Canada West TV and see that looks like a good game when you're in person you can really see the maturation that he's had this year this is third year where he's starting the majority of the games and the main thing that you're seeing with him is that he's pausing on each play he's taking his three-step drop back, his five-step drop back he's reading the field and he's reacting to the defense in front of him in past years you would see him go up and go with what plan a was regardless of whether it would work or not and if it wasn't there at all start to scramble around this year the runs you could really see in that game against alberta he ran with a purpose on set plays on passing he went to his first option if it wasn't there he went to his check receiver and was fine with a five or six yard pass and it's the difference between being a second or third year quarterback and being a senior quarterback i think
8: uh, Richard, uh, your thoughts, though. Billy Green, uh, what a day. Hey, what a season he's having, as you've already said.
10: It sure is. I don't think Billy realized uh, in that post-game interview when he mentioned how much Manitoba likes playing in Vancouver, how well they've actually done here. Yeah. UBC has lost their last five games uh, to Manitoba at Thunderbird Stadium. You have to look back a long, long way. Uh, to the last time that UBC won one at home against the Bison. So that's going to be an important thing to look at. Uh, you know, looking to snap another one of those losing streaks at home like they did last week, the 12 overall losses in a row. But, you know, Billy's a guy that can do it. You know, I cried in watch on. He is looking incredible. And the one thing, uh, you know, Justin and I chatted about on Saturday was also uh, his ability to run the ball. You know, they're drawing up plays out of the quarterback position where Billy Green is the primary runner and he doesn't even have to hand it off to anybody. You know, the snap goes to him, he takes a look around the field, and he can take off. He's averaging nearly 11 yards a run. You know, when you have a quarterback that can do that, it's pretty t- tough to stop the offense.
8: Uh, how does he compare? You went to Queens there, Richard. You did some radio to him. Uh, tell us about the two quarterbacks you saw there, and how does Billy Green compare to those guys? Is there, does he have the potential to come close to that?
10: Yeah, I saw Tom Dennison and Danny Branigan, who are two of the greatest throwers in CIS history when you look at the yardage numbers. Uh, the offenses were a little bit different. Uh, you know, the both those quarterbacks would step back and throw the ball 40, 50 yards down the field. And although we've seen that a little bit from UBC, Justin mentioned it a little bit earlier, uh, UBC was happy going to the check down receivers, which is something Queens barely ever did. It was either deep or nothing. <laughs> And uh, you know, I think Billy Green has that. I think he he has the ability to look around the field and put up yards. And OUA football is a little bit different than Can West football. Can West football is a little more uh, punch them in the mouth, knock them out. You know, we can put up points when we have to, but uh, mainly we just want to beat you up a little bit. We're in the OUA, especially when you're up against a uh, McMaster or a Western or a Laurier, it's, you know, sling it, see how many points you get to uh, put up on the board and. Uh, see how many yards you can pile up so a little bit different so that's why the stats are different but billy green has the makeup and i i believe if he keeps rolling the way he's rolling now even if the t-birds finish you know a five and three or six and two this is a guy that will win mvp uh of the cis he'll bring home the heck right in just like uh tom dennison did twice and danny branigan should have but uh, got a little bit unlucky with the voting Justin
8: you agree with that or is uh, Richard being a little too optimistic here
1: <laughs> well I mean it's three games into the season but if he keeps up the statistics like he has so far this year when you consider how many years it's been since UBC's made the playoffs yeah you would have to put him as the favorite at this point in the year one thing that you have to talk about though when you're talking about Billy Green's improvement is Dave Boyd uh Dave Boyd is healthy this year Dave Boyd is able to run for a yard a lot of yards and it takes a lot of pressure off of Billy last year his first full season as a starting quarterback boyd uh, never really got on the right foot and missed about half the season with nagging injuries here and there and when the defense knows that you're the only one that can really do anything they can key on you now they have to respect the play action and that's giving billy a lot of options uh, when he looks downfield of throwing and also whether he's going to take off
8: uh Richard, let's get into the game this weekend. It is yep. homecoming weekend here for UBC Men's Football. Pre-game show at one thirty. That's when we start on the air. The game's at two o'clock. Uh UBC taking on the Manitoba Bisons. Manitoba gets the big win at home versus Saskatchewan on the weekend they get a lot of late points and end up winning at 26 to 16 big game both teams 2 and 1 Saskatchewan also 2 and 1 Calgary leading the group at 3 and 0 oh. uh, Sean Olson said it to me earlier on in this broadcast Richard if UBC wants to be basically with the big boys this year they got to win this game
10: they sure do Manitoba's ranked for the first time since the beginning of the 2008 season so they come into this one 10th UBC ninth. It's amazing to think that UBC has already had two games this season, including this one, where both teams are ranked in the top ten, which is very rare for the Thunderbirds, at least recently. And uh, so Manitoba comes in with a bunch of weapons. They, uh, like UBC, have some first-year guys who have really started contributing. Anthony Coombs is the running back. He's looked fantastic. 224 all-purpose yards a game. Uh, Khalil Williams is the quarterback, and he's coming in as the second year as a full-time starter, and Seems like he's really matured there as well. It's a similar situation to Billy. You know, he came in, wasn't expected to do a lot in his first year, and then was given the reins and said, Let's see how you can improve this team. And it took Billy uh, three years to really get it. And uh, Khalil is now seeming to excel in his second year. And he has some targets out there, but most of the offense really falls on his shoulders.
1: Yeah, well. The thing, really, to keep in mind with this game, and you're right, Richard, it is one that UBC has to win if they're going to show that they're part of the big boys in the Canada West. They have two wins this year, and it's impressive, but the two wins have come against the two teams that haven't won a game. And so it's easy to make yourself look good when that's the case. So. Manitoba is a team that going into this season, people thought would be around UBC in that same sort of second tier, struggling with Regina and Cal, uh, struggling to break into that first tier with uh, Calgary and Regina. But as we've seen with Regina imploding and Calgary looking shaky in a couple games, this conference is there for the taking. And Saturday's homecoming game will be a really big test of whether UBC is set to take it.
8: Richard, can you stick
10: around for a little bit? Uh, yeah, I got a, uh, one or two more minutes for
1: you. <laughs>
8: okay, uh, Richard Zussman with us right now. Uh, Richard, the real key for UBC in this game what, what what has to happen for UBC to go to two and one on three and one on the season?
10: They have to keep playing good run defense. You know, it's too easy to say Billy Green has to keep playing the way he's playing. It's too easy to say that Dave Boyd needs to run the ball. They just keep stopping the run, and that defense needs to continue to gel. Manitoba's defense is spectacular. That is the key to their football team. They are the best defense uh, in the Canada West. Uh, they force the most uh, turnovers. They get the most sacks. And so you need to compete with your defense against their defense. So UBC needs to continue to mold, you know, force a little bit of pressure on Williams, slow down Coombs out of the backfield, and they do all that and give Billy Green good field position. Then this game should be. UBC's for the taking, and if Billy Green plays like he did last week, this game could be over at halftime
8: again. Uh, UBC, Richard, as we mentioned, two and one on the year. Manitoba, two and one. Saskatchewan, two and one. Calgary, as I mentioned, leading the group at three and zero. Oh. Justin putting in the point. Regina and Alberta haven't won a game yet. They play right. this weekend. Um, Alberta and Regina. So, have the lines been drawn already, guys? In the Canada West, pretty much Calgary, the heavy favorite. These three second-place teams are going to be fighting it out, and can we already say Alberta and Regina probably not making the playoffs, Justin? Is that yeah, I, don't,
10: I don't think it is, Calgary's a heavy favorite. Sorry to jump in there yeah. quick. I, I think that they were close against Manitoba and UBC. Both those games were decided in the last minute. So I don't think Calgary's a heavy favorite. I think that UBC, I think all four of those teams control their own destiny. They all play each other. UBC has Calgary at home, and they go to the road and play Saskatchewan on Manitoba at home this weekend. And if they win those ball games, they win the Canada West regular season crown. It's as simple as that. You control your own destiny as one of those four teams, and you just go and you have to go win football games.
1: Yeah, I mean, in an eight-game regular, eight regular season, three games in, uh, the die has been cast for the most part. But I think you have to give Calgary the two-time defending Canada West champion the tiebreak at this point in the season by virtue of that and the fact that they've beaten both UBC and Manitoba at this point.
8: All right, there you have it. Uh, Richard Zussman with us. Richard, thank you so much as always. So, we, what do we got planned for the pregame show, Richard, on Saturday?
10: Yeah, make sure you tune in 1:30. I got lots more tidbits. Justin and I will be bringing you through all uh, what's going on in the Canada West and uh, what to expect in that bowl game. And uh, we're going to be looking at that 86 Vandy Cup team at halftime. So, should be a great show and should be a fantastic football game.
8: Thanks for doing this, Richard. Uh, enjoy the broadcast on Saturday.
10: Uh, my pleasure. Thanks.
8: All right, that was uh, Richard Zessman. You like doing the game with him there, Justin?
1: Yeah, no, it's always <laughs> nice with a pro like him.
8: There you go. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We have some ads to play for you people out there in Radio Land. Uh, you're listening to 101.9 FM.
12: Discorder Magazine and CITR 101.9 FM are proud to present Drawn Ship's Low Domestic CD Release Party. Saturday, September 24th at Art Bank drawn ship are hot off a tour and one of them is seven months pregnant so needless to say it should be a magical night corbin murdoch will warm up the stage admission is ten dollars fifteen dollars gets you into the show plus sends you home with your own copy of drawn ships fabulous new cd that's drawn ship saturday september 24th at art bank 1897 powell street I'm Ben, he's Jeff. And we're here to tell you about an amazing job opportunity.
11: If you want to make a difference and contribute positively to the world, this is it.
12: Public Outreach is a place where passionate, creative individuals come together to fundraise and gain support for the world's most influential charities.
11: Like climate change, human rights violations, natural disasters,
12: and animal welfare. For more information, visit publicoutreachcareers.com. Apply today to start tomorrow. That's publicoutreachcareers.com. that We're talking about sports.
7: I never thought I could feel so free Buyin' a wage on a wing and a friend Who
12: could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me.
0: CITR Sports. Please listen.
8: All right, everybody, welcome back to Wiener's Barbecue here on 101.9 FM, CITR Radio, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, every Tuesday from 4.30 to 6 p.m. Um, with us in studio right now from the UBC newspaper. You're the editor. That's what they call me. That's what they call him. Uh, Justin McRoy. also very kind of him to do color commentator for our CITR UBC Thunderbird Men's Football Broadcast This past weekend, he'll be doing it again this weekend. Um, Justin, uh, let's turn topic right now. We're going to move over to the president of said university, uh, Stephen Toop. We saw him at the game. I don't know if you saw him sitting with Bob Phillips and Teresa Hansen (laughs) at the game on Saturday. Um, You know, this is uh, almost his deal now. And what I'm talking, of course, about is UBC not going to the NCAA, staying in the CIS – And President Toop basically saying he is going to change the CIS. He did a town hall meeting the other day, did this come up at all or no
1: No, i mean uh, this annual town hall address is aimed more towards the faculty and staff more than anything else and for them now this isn't a giant issue there was a lot of concern among them of moving to the ncaa because of all the controversies we hear over there and issues about accreditation and so forth but for them it's been put to bed but for toop if he wants to make good on the promises that he made back in april about helping to reform the cis about getting better comp competition about uh, making scholarships more flexible this is something that he's going to have to put a lot of energy into because the overall organizational structure of the cis as you know daryl is such a quicksand and quagmire that unless you're putting a lot of focus nothing is going to get done
8: okay so justin so everybody knows this interview is about a month old now yeah so there may have been some development since but from what i've heard there really haven't been surprise (laughs) so here's my interview with president toop going forward in the CIS, and Justin and I are going to come back and talk about it.
1: Um, here I am with uh, the
8: president of university, Stephen Toope, uh, here to talk about UBC, not necessarily not going in the NCAA, that's now in the past, but where we're going ahead with UBC staying in the CIS. Um, Mr. President, thank you so much for doing this, and you in your press conference said that the status quo in the CIS, when you said that
3: UBC is going to stay, was unacceptable. That's right. So, where do we stand now? So, we're in the midst of uh, lots of discussions. Uh, you may know that there was a uh, working group uh, c- uh, created by Canada West. Uh, I'm co chairing that with the uh, athletic director from another Western university. And uh, we've been charged with uh, taking a relook at competitive structure. Uh, first looking at Canada West but the reality is as soon as you open that can of worms uh, you're looking at competitive structure for CIS and frankly uh, you're implying a lot of other questions too like the scholarship issue which UBC has been concerned about for a long time so we're in the midst of meetings we've already had one meeting which I hosted here at UBC and we're about to have another meeting next week in Calgary and uh, we're going to see what progress we can make on reform initiatives uh, you have mentioned that you
8: want a Canada West-tiered system. It's been something that's been talked about for years. Um, there's the five schools that are sort of spearheading it. You mentioned your press conference. You hope to have it done by
3: 2012-13. Is that feasible? No. What's uh, what's become obvious is uh, that the planning around the scheduling is uh, simply too complex to get a complete revision by 2012, 13. But what I hope we will be able to do is have the plan for how we're going to proceed, uh, certainly by 2012, so that by the time we're getting to 2013, 2014, we can actually implement. uh, Let me also say that there are a lot of parallel discussions going on, which you may know about. Uh, So in the Midst of our discussions, there's also some work that uh, CIS is doing with Own the Podium, uh, which, of course, you know, has been instrumental in in thinking about high performance sport in Canada. So, quite frankly, there are a lot of moving pieces here, and right now I couldn't predict exactly where this is going to land. But what I am feeling pretty confident about is that there is a wide recognition across the country that the current situation is not not only not ideal, but probably not even sustainable. I'd actually like to follow that up. When you say not sustainable,
8: you're saying that if the CIS stays on the path that they've been on with the way they're running their sports over, say, the last, I'll just say 10 years, I'll throw it a number, this league is going to
3: have major cutbacks in, say, the next decade? Uh, I don't know if it will be major cutbacks. I suspect that there will be a number of institutions across the country that are going to feel that their interests are not best served by the current uh, arrangements within CIS. And there are other people across the country who are worried that CIS is not meeting its mandate. Uh, I'll be very honest with you. Uh, if you look at what CIS says it wants to do, it says it wants to be the destination of choice for top Canadian scholar-athletes. And in my view, the current structure means that it won't be able to do that.
8: Could we also say, is it the
3: Can we say the top Canadian athletes or is it top Canadian athletes? Are we trying to get the best here? Yeah, we're trying to get the best. Uh, the best both in terms of their athletic prowess and, uh, uh, of course, we also want them to be committed students as well because that is a major statement and
8: that's obviously something that especially with the mass media of today you know canadian students are following the u.s sporting system and just a example uh mark Trasolini. he's going to be playing here with santa clara uh september 9th he's going to be playing against ubc's men bas- men's basketball team division one athlete he didn't go to a big-time Division One school. He didn't go to Kentucky. He didn't go to Duke. He didn't go to UCLA. He went to what's called a mid-major, which I'm sure you've learned about, Santa Clara.
3: How do we keep that player? Because that's a player we can compete for if we can build up a system. You're saying that is the goal here? That is the goal, Yes. That is the goal. And what we're going to have to do is we're we're going to have to obviously rethink uh, the uh, level of competition, and that goes to uh, how it is that we might have a kind of high-performance element within uh, either within CIS or within a different structure. Uh, but it also goes to the overall scholarship opportunities for uh, outstanding athletes. So we, we currently are operating in a very, very restrictive environment, which it makes us very uncompetitive for a lot of top people. Now, some people choose to come here nonetheless. I mean, if you look at our swimming program, it's outstanding. We have Olympians in our swimming program. But there are many other programs where it's very, very hard to compete successfully.
8: Um- also, you mentioned in your pro, in your press conference you wanted to enhance scholarships, and that's one you, you said right off the top in your press conference, we've had less progress on scholarships yeah. in talking about with other CIS schools. Elaborate on that, and how could I not be pessimistic when I hear that statement?
3: <laughs> well, uh, so I said that we'd had less progress in part because we just hadn't had as many conversations as we had about the, the tiering issue, but what's become... Clear to me, and look, I'm in a learning curve on all of this. Uh, It's not my background, and it's been very interesting for me to discover some of the complexities. What has become clear to me is that you can't deal with the question of competition level without dealing with the scholarship question. And uh, we are beginning to have more and more conversations around that scholarship question. And it may turn out that the scholarship commitment becomes the leverage point for understanding the level of competition question. So in other words, we might have to reverse the whole discussion. I don't know where this is going to go, quite frankly, but we may have to reverse the whole discussion and ask uh, universities across the country what their interests are in committing to change around scholarships and by teasing out who seems to be willing to change that dynamic, start to look at competitive structure from the perspective of scholarships. So back to getting the top athletes here, is your goal in the end,
8: because if you're going to compete with these American schools, because that's, you know, that's the reality of it, is it full ride? Is that what we're trying to get?
3: Yeah, w- look, I don't have a very specific uh, plan in mind in terms of uh, what numbers of uh, full scholarships have to be available, but it does seem to me uh, that in the same way we offer full scholarships uh, for people for other purposes, leadership purposes, uh, academic, purely academic purposes, it's not, There's, n- in my view, there's nothing ethically wrong with imagining, imagining full-ride scholarships for athletes as long as they're also committed to uh, academic studies. And, uh, you know, there's no question in my mind that people across the country believe that those two things can be compatible. Um, You also said in your press conference it was a very difficult decision to come to this, and you said that you believe that
8: the CIS is going to be in very... CIS is in very serious reform discussions. Um, I was critical in that you're going on promises here. Mm -hmm. You didn't get any deal agreed to when you said that UBC is going to stay in the CIS. You also said, I quote, UBC for the time being is going to be a member in the CIS. So is it fair to say that in the next two to three years, if the CIS doesn't do anything, this door gets opened again, at the NCA door?
3: Yes. I think that's crucial. I think uh, I wanted to be clear from the beginning that I felt, uh, after a, a really a lot of discussion, a lot of weighing, a lot of consultation, that we had to give one shot, one last shot, to really imagining a new way of thinking about Canadian interuniversity sports. I was reassured in conversations with people across the country that they were willing to do that. If we discover that they're not and that we can't make progress, then of course we have to look at the best interests of UBC and the best interests of our student-athletes. And is that a fair statement? the two- to three-year window? Yeah, I think we've got to give it a couple of years. Uh, look, these are complicated discussions. Uh, there are a lot of people involved. As I said earlier, there are a lot of moving parts. It's not just CIS. It's what other people across the country are looking at in terms of high-performance uh, sport. Uh, and we also are going to be looking internally at UBC, and this is an important point. Um, We're going to be having uh, an external review done of our athletics uh, uh, department uh, starting in the the autumn, and that's public. Uh, We haven't got the terms of reference fully worked out there, but I want to look at the whole balance of, you know, where we're delivering on intercollegiate sport versus where we're delivering on intramural sport and just on health and wellness for our own students. We have to look at all of that. We have to balance all of that out. It's going to take us a couple of years to figure out where we want to put our emphasis Uh, and so yes I would say two to three years if we don't start to see some real progress some real change we've got to reopen the NCAA possibility
8: scholarship tiering being the main points absolutely Um, and also um, student one thing that really hasn't been brought up I think in this whole process is student involvement in sports student participation student attendance is really the word I'm looking for Um, is that
3: something you obviously want to see done, and what do you think can be done? Is that a fair question to ask you uh, well fair I know i 'm not an expert in it, but I would say uh, that you know i I go to some games and I am struck by the fact that there aren 't a lot of people there, uh, and I think that that is an element. Uh, that is important in in terms of generating a sense of connection for students to the university, Uh, we can do a better job there. And I think that there's been frustration, again, uh, with the way the scheduling works for CIS, it's sometimes hard to maintain traditional rivalries. That's been one of the concerns, that that could actually even degenerate further. Uh, If you have a sense of traditional rivalries, if you've got a sense that the quality of the game is going to be really high and that you've got outstanding athletes in front of you, I think it's probably easier to encourage people to come, and that's part of this whole process. And
8: uh, last point I want to make... and I, I also asked you this at the press conference is the NAI teams, and particularly men's baseball. Um, you mentioned that this program, even if UBC uh, stays in the CIS long term and it gets absorbed by the NAI gets absorbed
3: by the NCAA, you're still going to have, quote unquote, a club team here. Uh, I didn't say that about basketball uh, about baseball. Uh, alone it's I, I want to yeah. be c- careful about that w- one. women's softball yeah. generally, and I know in fact uh, for baseball, that would probably be very, very difficult to achieve uh, for others, it's not as difficult uh, that when I said that the decision was hard, that was one of the hardest elements of the decision. I, I'm well aware that there's a risk for some of our existing teams uh, because of what's happening in the states and the potential for the uh, unification of the leagues, of course. There are still ifs there. We don't know that that's going to happen. You know, interestingly, uh, the other side of all of this is there continues to be a lot of pretty negative commentary around certain elements of the NCAA. Uh, Just uh, recently, of course, we've seen uh, more examples around football, etc. So it's going to be intriguing to me to see whether or not at the end of the day Uh, All of the uh, schools that currently operate uh, in the NAIA uh, are going to want to get into the NCAA. I mean, we don't know. There's projection about that. So uh, I am aware that there's a risk there. We're paying very close attention to it. And part of the uh, review for athletics uh, really has to look at our overall positioning. What sports are we in? What sports are we not in? Why are we choosing to support some as intercollegiate or varsity sports, others as club sports. Uh, I mean, a good example that we have to think through, it seems to me, is rowing. Uh, we've got a history of tremendous success in rowing, and yet it's a very complicated sport to place anywhere in league structures. Well, how do we make sure that we honour our traditions in rowing and participate as actively as we can? So there are a lot of questions that have to be answered about where we choose to participate and where we don't. And that's all going to be open for discussion and consultation and uh, in the uh autumn thank you for doing this sir thank you very much
8: all right justin that was uh president stephen Toop.
1: yes it was
8: (laughs) well said there all right we're gonna take a quick break here when we're back justin and i are gonna talk about uh that interview and what the president said ubc not going to the ncaa staying in the cis uh before we go justin though and then we'll come back and talk about it uh, some initial thoughts there
1: well i mean The president can talk the talk on the things that need to change in the CIS, and there are things that we've all known have to change in the CIS for many, many years. Uh, I think he's just starting to realize, and you can tell in his language and things, that he's pushing back and walking away from saying what's going to be more difficult of just the monumental task it takes to to reform the CIS and whether one president at however an influential school UBC may be academically, athletically is sort of out of the loop of where certain key stakeholders are.
8: We'll get to that. And the other one that got me when I asked him if in two to three years, and he said he agreed with that number, we don't see significant. That's the key word I like, significant changes in the CIS, the NCA tour back open.
1: Here we go again.
8: All right, uh, we'll be back in a moment. You'll see. Two one hundred 101.9 FM.
4: Bleach Babes are having their CD release party September 22nd at the Princeton Pub. CDs are $5, admission is $5, the show is 19 and over. Joining the shiny pop punks of Bleach Babes will be Langley's finest hardcore punks, The Killed Spirits, Killer Loud Pop from Dead Soft, and the two-man progressive duo, The Halcyon Corps. Don't miss the Bleach Babe CD release party September 22nd at the Princeton Pub, 1901 Powell Street, at Victoria Drive.
2: Deception. Passion. Romance. Revenge. Is this the story of your life? If not, liven it up with Shakespeare. There's still time to enter the world of the greatest English playwright ever, under the tents at Bard on the Beach. There are matinee and evening performances to September 24th. Good seats are available for all four productions, and the evening youth price is just $30. Get your reserved seats now, online at bardonthebeach.org, or call the box office, 604-739-0559. All right, everybody, welcome back to Weirds Barbecue on 101.9
8: FM, CITR Radio. At 5.45, we're going to have Howard Samura of the Vancouver Province on with us, uh, here to talk... A little more UBC staying in the CIS, um, not going into the NCA. In my interview, we just played with President Stephen Tube, Justin McElroy, the editor for the UBC newspaper. Um, Justin, you covered this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did did where do you think we're going? And did I did I learn anything? Did you learn anything in my interview here?
1: I learned that the president has realized that conference realignment will not happen next year. I learned uh, that the president is still committed, rhetorically at least, publicly at least, to reforming the CIS. But I also learned that uh, it is about exactly as hard as I thought it would be for one university president to do that, which is Barry. I mean... <laughs> as we've talked about before and as anyone who has studied the cis knows that there's a lot of competing interests here and while it may seem obvious that uh, you want to have a more tiered structure so competitive programs play against other competitive programs and have some more flexibility on scholarships so that top athletes you're never going to get the top athletes i mean let's just put that to rest but top athletes in your high profile sports having a bit more scholarships to get those things to happen yeah we can say it's a good thing but you've got to get everyone on the same page and right now people aren't on the same page and that's the problem
8: uh and tell us explain to us justin what goes on and they basically control the votes in this cis league uh, ontario
1: well yeah i mean you look at canada west and the big schools out here share the same interest not only academically but but also uh, athletically, you know, UBC, Alberta, Calgary, Saskatchewan, they all would like the same things for the CIS generally for reform. And they're also like minded on the research front. So Stephen Toop has no problem talking to them and saying, let's be on board with this and let's push for things. Mm-hmm. And Atlantic Canada and Quebec are both small enough and sort of disjointed that their votes from a large institutional standpoint, I don't want to say don't matter, but aren't as influential. But you look at Ontario, and in Ontario, the schools that really matter aren't the schools that are like-minded with UBC academically and the schools that Toop could phone up and have productive conversations with because he always does your Toronto's your York's your Waterloo's the schools down there that really matter are your Queen's your University of Western Ontario your McMaster's your Carlton's, your U of Ottawa and uh, there's a large difference there in what they want out of the CIS, what they think is the way forward, and for them the status quo is pretty fine. And they don't have a lot of institutional relationships with UBC or with schools that want reform, and you're going to need to get their votes one way or another to make the substantial changes that President Toop says need to be made.
8: Because what happens in Ontario right now is pretty much any topic that comes up in the CIS. Yes. Uh, what they do is they basically, my understanding is they get together as a group
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. as and a conference.
8: They debate it, but then they do what's called a block vote, almost yes. like a political party mm-hmm. would do. And they basically control the day, is my understanding, pretty much on any issue because they have
1: the votes well, to do it. They have plenty of votes. Uh, you know that's right, and it is something they're fully within their rights to do that yep. um and the main reason why it works and it's effective and there's not really a schism is because your big schools but you know i said your toronto university of toronto doesn't care about af- athletics in terms of a big picture you know they feel teams but it's not in any way integral to their mission statement at all university of york has teams doesn't care Uh, And those are the biggest universities, and those are the ones with the biggest endowments and the biggest budgets, but they don't have it as a priority, and so they're fine with the smaller schools setting the agenda there and going along, because for them right now, even if scholarships were available and there was sort of a pan-Canada super conference... They wouldn't play in it. The presidents wouldn't try and make basketball and football teams. They're good to compete in it. So what's the point in making it an issue?
8: Where you're taking your, what you're saying is you're taking your Western, your Queens and McMaster. They're getting decent crowds at the CIS. Yes. They're getting five to even nine, ten thousand people at those games. Is my understanding, pretty good support. Where if they had to go bigger, they probably just couldn't do it. And you look at Carlton in basketball, probably mm-hmm. extremely happy with the way that <laughs> league's going. I would for say them. so. So what is our president of this university to do? How, how can they crack this nut, as you say?
1: Well, I think having everyone in the Canada West singing on the same songbook is the start, right? Um, impossible because you're going to be discluding about
8: six or seven of those schools right off the Well, bat. I'm,
1: I, I mean the large schools and saying, you know, having enough people making a real public push of saying, look— this is where we want the cis to go long term these are the general principles we can all agree with because right now yes there's this vague talk of cis reform that's existed for a long time but it's 20 voices talking in 20 different uncoordinated different ways and so of course nothing is going to get done if you start to see the canada west schools band together on certain things and try and create some sort of real public debate where there's two options then you might see something but that's a long ways off and uh as i said i think the president is realizing that when you step your foot into the quicksand that is the cis reform it is easier to get further in than to get out quickly
8: <laughs> um i've met actually with uh dick price uh the senior advisor of president who used to play for the ubc men's basketball team um they seem very serious on this issue and and I'll go back to it, Justin. Um, you know, they want to make it where CIS basketball or CIS sports <laughs> are big, and as you said, they can't keep the top athletes, but I gave a guy Mark Trazzolini, the example that I didn't mention from Vancouver, went to Vancouver College. Yes. I forgot to say that in the interview. A guy went to Santa Clara. He didn't go to Duke, Kentucky. Granted, Steve Nash is alma mater, mm-hmm. but still he went to a mid-major in the U.S. They want to keep that guy there. Um I will say this though. Everybody I've talked to on the street, in the city, in the media, believes that this is not possible, what he's trying to do.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think he he's talking a big game because he has to in a way, right? Um, uh, the administration allowed UBC Athletics to have a dalliance with the the NCAA for many, many years. Um, and we're really hands-off on it. So when you say no we're not going to the ncaa after giving them all this rope and for setting up expectations on their end then you have to champion a different alternative so i think whether he believes it or not he's forced here now i do think he's sincere on this the president doesn't is a realist and he doesn't talk about things that he wants to do unless he actually wants to do them but i think that within the next year you're going to see what he says is reasonable expectations dialed down somewhat Because at the end of the day, there's no chance, regardless of where the CIS is, that a top basketball player who can get a full-ride scholarship here is going to take it if he can get a full-ride scholarship at a school that has some games on CBS or ESPN a a couple times a year.
8: Yeah. Um, But once again, we'll go back to it two to three years from now. If there was not, I want. I want. This is the yeah. one that got me. If there are not significant changes in the CIS, the NCA door back open. He said yes.
1: Yeah, and then we go through the consultation process, <laughs> and then we have this split yet apathetic campus again. And uh, it's, but he'll
8: know at least at that point the CIS isn't going to change. He can't play that card anymore because that's where I was most critical of him mm-hmm. uh, on this point was. He took the road of changing the CIS, but I think he should have taken a good year or a year and a half before he made the decision and tried to get those changes then as opposed to making the decision and then trying to get the change because he didn't get anything here. And if he now goes back and says, okay, I tried to get the changes. I put all my weight behind this. I used my role as a president. I still couldn't get changes in the CIS. What can he say then, honestly?
1: Well, I I mean, also, Daryl, bear in mind that the uh, push to go with the ncaa has always uniquely been um that of bob phillip the current athletic director and uh, will bob phillip be here in two three years time he's already you know into his 60s he spent a lot of uh time here maybe if he still thinks that that's a thing that can happen but if not a new athletic director will they be as zealous towards the ncaa who knows it's easy for him to say in 36 months time we'll figure that because the future as we all know is hypothetical
8: all right well we'll see what happens uh, i'm going to give president Toop the benefit of the doubt for the for a year here all right and we'll see what
1: they can and do. we'll be back in a year from now
8: <laughs> i guess so we'll be back sooner than that uh, justin mackerel justin thank you so much uh for doing this you want to promote your newspaper here
1: hey no worries ubc comes out uh, we got a new ex- issue thursday it's 12 pages we've got a lot on president toop's town hall so if you're on campus pick it up
8: Alright, uh, when we're back, Howard Samura of the Vancouver Province is going to be with us. You're listening to 101.9 FM.
2: How do you write a good magazine article? Discorder is that magazine published by CITR 101.9 FM. In it, you'll find reviews of concerts and albums, stories about bands and artists, comics, and more, including a comprehensive guide to CITR's program.
4: In the September issue,
12: read up on local thrashers Joyce Collingwood, busy blues babes the pack AD,
1: and the long-awaited debut album from Lost Lovers Brigade.
2: Discorder is available all over the fine city of Vancouver. For a complete list of distribution locations, why not go online to discorder.ca? I... state your name.
0: I... state your name. Do hereby pledge allegiance to the frat.
11: Do hereby pledge allegiance to the frat.
3: Uh, With
0: liberty and fraternity for all. Amen. Amen.
8: BBQ here on 101.9 FM, CITR Radio. Joining us on the line right now, Howard more of the Vancouver province. Hey,
10: hey Daryl, was that Animal House I was playing? Howard, I'm going to tell you a story right now. Well, i got a story to tell you, my friend, so hurry up. Okay, go. What's your story? You first. Well, well animal, what's
8: that
5: Animal House? Yes, it was Animal well, so House. Well, okay, well, I thought it was. Hey, I go to Eugene, Oregon, uh, twice a year for a week at a time. Oh, my God. You
8: ruined my story.
5: Go ahead. Are you kidding? Well, I mean, the most famous story or untold story about the Oregon campus is Animal health was filmed there, and I walked by Dean Wormer's uh, uh, office on campus uh, just a few weeks ago, and when I heard Animal Health I'm going, Daryl, that's a nice welcoming for me back to... Uh, Back to your show for
7: another season. <laughs>
8: Howard, okay, here was my story. is This weekend, I'm missing the UBC Thunderbird Men's football game on Saturday. Uh, the band's name is Further. It's the remainder. It's a bunch of guys from the Grateful Dead are playing in Eugene, Oregon this weekend. <laughs> and, the and it is it, the, the stadium is uh, Cuthbert Amphitheater is adjacent to uh, what's the football game the University of Oregon plays at, whatever that's called. Austin Stadium. Okay, there you go. We're staying at a university inn right across the street from campus. And, Howard, I'm just going to tell you a little more about – because I know you're an Oregon Ducks fan, so I played that for you. That's why I tied it in, just so you know that. (laughs) That's great. But I want to add this. I want to add this little nugget. It's the greatest uh, university of all time in the world, University of Oregon, okay? Of all time, (laughs) of all time. Everywhere. Take all the universities ever. And here's why. Howard, not only was Animal House filmed there, but John Lannis and company went around to 50 universities, 50 institutions to try and find one that would let them film Animal House on their campus. One, Howard, one said yes. The University of Oregon. The greatest university in the history of mankind. <laughs> one out of 50 in oh what God. is oh God. in what is arguably, definitely one of the greatest comedies of all time. <laughs> John Belushi as Bluto at his peak, Howard, at his peak. And without the University of Oregon, that movie, who knows if it would have happened. <laughs> greatest university in the history of mankind uh, anywhere well. in the world. There you go, Howard.
5: Well, you know what? You watch the movie and then you, you take a stroll down the main part of the campus. And you see, you feel like you're on the set, of Animal. I mean, really, those old houses, the big trees, all the whole thing, it's all there, and it's a great place to, to take it all in. And the, and the film, Darrell, I will tell you, it means something to the people of Eugene, because, I mean, Animal House, you know, has just celebrated, I guess, what, is it 30 years? It just celebrated its 30th birthday, I think, in terms of uh, how long it's been out, and... They interviewed people in the town who were in the movie, and it's a it's a huge hit down there. So very cool! What a great segue, like I said, <laughs> Howard. I'm going to call you during the week to figure out where to go on campus. Okay, uh, you know, I know I know exactly where you're staying, and there's a great place, uh, you know, right on campus. Um, gosh, the name just escapes me, but the best breakfast I've had in terms of uh, you know just getting a plate of. Bacon, eggs, and hash brown in the morning, just a great place to go. You'll find it when you're down there, but what a great atmosphere down there in Eugene.
1: There you go,
8: Howard. That's where I'll be. And your Ducks, they're (laughs) not playing at home that day, Saturday night at Arizona, okay? Yeah,
5: exactly. Yeah, yeah.
8: There you go. Okay, Howard. I mean, I could keep talking about Animal House and Eugene, Oregon, but, you know, we got to talk about football here. Uh, Howard, somewhere in the Vancouver province. Oh, Howard, I'm, I'm so happy you knew that, but I, you got to give me
5: credit there for trying that hey, on you, don't you? You like, get props. I mean, I've been going to Eugene for 30 years. For you to pull that one out there, well, that's pretty good.
8: There you go. There you go. And, and did you know the 50 school one?
10: Did you know that? The,
8: I didn't know that. I, I read, that. I read that in Bob Woodward's Amazing biography, Wired. Uh, the biography did on John Belushi shortly Austria, after Belushi okay. died. Wow. So. there you go, uh, an amazing, amazing, great book. Um, with us on the line, Howard Samura of the Vancouver Province. Uh, Howard, your thoughts? Uh, let's get on to our UBC Thunderbird men's football team. Forty to thirty winners at home versus the Alberta Golden Bears. They're up forty to sixteen with about two and a half minutes to go. So a blowout win for UBC men's football. Uh, Howard, they looked awesome doing it. Hey.
5: They, they did, and, and you know what? It's it's so easy to just talk about the fact that they came out and played so well for three quarters, Dale. In terms of what they did with their first string offense on the field, I thought the neatest thing was after the game talking to Sean Olson and the fact that you know as a coaching staff they were resolute in their beliefs that they wanted to get certain players off the field at a certain stage of the game. They weren't worried about where they were going to be ranked nationally. They weren't worried what the pollsters might have thought of a ten point game versus a you know a thirty point game or whatever it was. At one stage, they just know what they need to accomplish each time they go out on the field as a football team. I think that says a lot about what Sean's brought to that program, you know, now, uh, you know, a few games into just his second season as the head coach. So I, I came away thinking that was as neat as anything else that happened. And there were a ton of good things, as I'm sure you'll mention, that happened uh, on that Saturday.
8: Well, Howard, you know, just before we get into the game on Saturday, let's talk about Sean Olson for a minute here. Uh, Second-year head coach, but really came in. It took him a long time to hire him last year, and, you know, here he is year two. And honestly, that's as good as I've seen a UBC football team on Saturdays. Maybe I had since, not quite, but maybe since when Sean Olson was the
5: actual quarterback. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. And I think everybody knew how good Billy Green was. Um, but you know the actual in the details learning between between a former great quarterback who's now a head coach and his and his protege, his quarterback, it, there was not the time for that process to happen. In between the time Sean was hired and they opened the 2010 Canada West season, you saw that happen this past off season in terms of just getting absolutely online with Sean and, and Billy, understanding what each other wanted on the field, and for Billy Green to go out there and reestablish a feel with all of his receivers within the new offensive, you know, systems that Sean Olsen has put in here since he's become the head coach. That's why you're seeing, you know, I think, a more finished product here with a lot of the players that, you know, they're not new. I mean, Jordan Greaves been here for a while. Spencer Betts has been here for a while. Dave Boyd, who can catch it over the uh, backfield and run it, he's been here a while. It's all these same components feeling at home with each other, and that's why they're able to roll And that first half was certainly an impressive display of that.
8: And uh, last one, Howard, with Sean Olson is, you know, we saw the 97, uh, we saw Vanier Cup winning team there on the weekend. And talk about Sean Olsen, you know, bringing, we talked about on the show already, Mark Nora, for example, is a running back coach. Bob Beveridge there. I mean, the alumni are back at UBC, you know?
5: Well, hey, yeah, and when you have, a you know, a, a favorite son like Sean Olson, I, I you know, I, I think it's only a natural extension of him to want to have you know, the, the, the people that, that he's gone to war with and that he knows well and that can, he knows can deliver, uh, you know, in terms of bringing fundamentals and a lot of the key things in terms of the week of preparation for his football team. And I mean, you certainly can't argue with, with the moves that he's made in terms of bringing people in. Um, I think the one thing people are worried have been worried about, and I think Sean has stressed it above all, is this, you know, not dropping off on your focus throughout the week preparing for games, regardless of whether you won or lost the week before. I think that's the number one thing that everyone was concerned with, because we saw what happened after they beat a number two-ranked Saskatchewan team on the road last year. They didn't live up to it the rest of the way. That hasn't happened this year. And again, here's another test with a Manitoba team coming in on Saturday that itself has experienced some success. And I talked to Brian Doby today. I'll be writing about that later in the week. But, boy, here's two teams nobody thought would be ranked in the top ten in a, in a national top ten game on Saturday.
8: Yeah, uh, UBC taking on the Manitoba Bisons. You said it, Howard. Both teams 2-1. and one. Uh, Saskatchewan upset by Manitoba on the weekend in Winnipeg 26-16. Uh, I know you can't tease us what's going on in your article, Howard, but what can we expect UBC and Manitoba on uh, the weekend? And really a game that, you know, we're kind of labeling it. Both of these teams, if they want to be with the big boys this year in the Canada West and maybe even compete for that home playoff spot, they both have to win this game, you know?
5: They really do when you look at it. And it's really interesting because, and Coach Dobie is great. He's like, Sean, you just want to sit there and talk football with the guy all day long. But, I mean, look at the similarities. Both of these teams were 2-6 and six last year. Both of these teams entered the season unranked. And both of these, these teams have upset a team ranked in the top ten this year. So I think the similarities about I think, UBC might be actually ahead in terms of the veteran experience um, part of this this whole equation here, you know, this Manitoba team is very very, very young, um, but have shown a real you know Consistency was <laughs> the key word there over the first few weeks of the season. They got a huge special teams play, uh, you know, last week off, off of a, of a, a punta situation to get a touchdown that absolutely turned the momentum of that game and let them beat Saskatchewan, their signature win. And I think it's really got them pumped up. But I think at the same time, the whole thought in the Manitoba camp as they head to Vancouver later this week is just like the UBC camp, they don't want to get too far ahead of the process. They want to remain in the moment, snap to snap, and really, you know, try to keep their momentum going. So it's going to be a, a clash of wills, a, class of, a clash of two teams who, you know, as Doby said, no one ever thought these two teams would be ranked in the top ten playing against each other in the third week of the season. So, hey, in the Canada West, you never know, Daryl.
8: Uh, Howard, from of the Vancouver province with us right now. Um, Howard... Back on to UBC this year, the play of Billy Green this season, and on Saturday, 21 for 27, 250 yards, over 100 yards on the ground, no interceptions, three touchdowns through the air, one on the ground. Can't really beat that, can you?
5: (laughs) I don't know what to say other than, as I said in the press box after the game, hey, who's got that NFL quarterback rating system formula? Can we plug the numbers in and see where Billy would be here? Because they would be off the charts, and, you know, you can't, you can't even hype Billy Green. You, you can't hype what he's done because he's done so many great things, you know, over the, over the first three games. Everything you say about the guy is fact. Eight touchdowns, no interceptions. He's got over a thousand yards combined passing and rushing already. He's rushed for a hundred plus in two straight games, Darrell. And we remarked about this in the press box. When he's, when he starts to run with the football, he, he's not running scared. He looks confident. He has a purpose, you know, when he tucks that ball under his arm. He, he just looks like a different player this year. He looks like the guy who was dominating at the high school level at Holy Cross back in 2007. So I think this is the evolution coaches wanted to see. It doesn't always happen with players, but I think Billy Green in his fourth year is really living up to a lot of the promise uh, that he showed when he came to UBC.
8: Uh, Howard, we're out of time here. You know, I- I'll say we didn't spend that first bit wisely, but when you're going to talk about Animal House, uh, it's time wisely spent. You know, so yeah, Of course it is. Uh, Howard so Saturday I'm not gonna be here at two o'clock for the game the concert doesn't start till seven. Where should I be? Where should I be in regards to Animal House in that University of Oregon campus uh, really 2 to 5 p.m on on Saturday if I'm not watching college football at a bar somewhere but where, where should I be if I'm not watching college football at a bar rooting against like Oregon State or Arizona or Arizona or Stanford or something like that?
5: You know what? I, you know what? Th- th- that is the most beautiful place. I don't know if you ride a bike, Daryl, but if even if you're just a casual peddler, huh. I think you should rent a bike and you should ride around that campus through the through the wooded parts. You can see where Steve Prefontaine tra- tra- trained on the on the prees Trail. Um, you can actually see the Ducks in Oregon, because they're part of the migratory path, and they are there in Eugene. They're not called the, the Ducks for no reason. So plenty of good stuff to see, but maybe find a watering hole. See what time that <laughs> Ducks game is starting, because there's a fever pitch for that football team in that town. You can't be here watching UBC. You should be watching the Oregon Ducks on a television uh, in Eugene.
8: Howard, the show's at 7. The game starts at 7. We'll be missing Oh, it does. Game. Okay, well, there you
5: go. Uh, Daryl. you know what? You always... You're a guy I don't worry about on the road. I know you're always going to have a good time wherever you are.
8: Howard, we're going to finish it off with Otis Day and the Knights doing Shout from Animal House. <laughs> Howard Samura. Howard, thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, we'll see you soon. All
12: right. Thanks, Joe.
8: Yeah.
7: You know you make me want to yeah. kick my heels Now what? Nash, a little bit soft and 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 nash, a little bit loud 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 and From Wisdom and Chains, and you're listening to the Flex Your Head Show on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, British Columbia.